White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 405. This is the greatest spectacle in racing, and today, one of these drivers will do something we will never, ever forget. With one and a quarter laps to go. Wow. Coming to the white flag, he's got a nice gap, but he's got to hang on the rest of the lap. Down the back stretch for the final time, and Pashinov's trying to run away, and Rossi's not letting it happen. Still single file. Rossi on the high line, he has to tuck it back in. The short shoot. Clear by two. Rossi's going to have a massive draft on Simon Pagano into the home stretch. Less than half a mile. Simon Pagano sweeps him up the May and wins his maiden Indy 500. How about that? Welcome to Open Wheel, the White Rocket Formula One and IndyCar podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment and by people like you, our great listeners and supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my regular co-host for this program, pulp author and all sorts of racing enthusiasts, including some racing that just blows my mind, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back again aboard, Alan. Thank you, Van. It's been a, a long time since we've uh, driven this circuit, and I'm uh, looking forward to talking F1 and IndyCar again. It's been a while. Absolutely, we've we've done some. Uh, we've gotten to go to races since the last time we talked. I got to go to the Indianapolis 500 for the first time in my life, which is very exciting. We'll talk about that. But yeah, we've had a whole bunch of other stuff going on, and we just haven't really had a chance to sit down and talk about racing. But here we are, kind of in a. Uh, we're not really in the mid-season, but we're kind of in the general middle of the 2019 season for both series, more or less. And so it seemed like a good opportunity to come aboard and talk about what we've witnessed so far in both series this year and what we think about it and what we think is going to happen. And so as we usually do, we're going to start out talking about Formula One and then we'll come to IndyCar. Um, I have a couple of things up front, though. But first, as always, I want to point out that if you want to support shows like this, just go to patreon.com and just look for Plexico, P-L-E-X-I-C-O, easy enough, or just go to www.plexico.net and you can follow the link right there. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can help shows like this that we produce stay on the air because we have a number of expenses that have to be covered every year and every month. Um, Alan, before we get into the nitty-gritty of, of each series, I just want to get your overall impression, because I have a very definite feeling about this, and I want to see what you think. At this moment in time, and, and there's a lot of ways you could define this, but at this moment in time, would you say that Formula One or IndyCar is the better series? And again, there's a lot oh. of ways you can define <laughs> better. So, Wow, that's a leading question. Um... I'm enjoying them both equally for different reasons. I would say to the casual viewer looking at the results and so forth, I think IndyCar is probably the more exciting to watch currently. I mean, uh, I don't know how many different winners we've had. Um, I just don't. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, 
six different winners so far in nine races as opposed to two different winners in seven um yeah I, you know i think that, that there's a lot more um obvious on track action of course the big difference is you know one's a spec series and where all the cars are the same you know, relatively the same and the others is 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 a manufacturer series so i find them interesting from sort of different mm. aspects i'm enjoying f1 um but that's more for sort of the stuff that's happening in the background rather than the stuff that's happening on track. There has been some good on-track stuff, but I would say the uh, the most on-track action um, and variety has definitely been in IndyCar so far this, this year. So. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the way I feel about it all, too. I, I just <clears> – <throat> I think that um, – the, the the idea of the spec car versus the manufacturing thing, <clears throat> I have two reactions to that. One is that it's largely lost on me. I'm just not sophisticated enough to, to, fully, <laughs> to fully appreciate that. But then number two, um, it's it's like, okay, you got the same car in any car, but in Formula One, the very fact that you have such different cars kind of preordains a lot of the outcomes there you know so you know it it basically i would argue that out of the what 20 drivers every week every race for formula one 15 of them could win if they were in lewis's or botus's car especially if lewis was not in a mercedes (laughs) because i'll (laughs) give him plenty of credit too don't get me wrong if you put if you put lewis hamilton in a williams right now and you put almost any other driver in his car, I feel like that driver has a 50-50 shot of winning. And that, that would be him with a chance, definitely, and at least getting on a podium, yes. Yeah, and yeah. That, that to me is yeah. just not as exciting as currently. Again, I love it uh, as any car. On the other hand, on the other hand, I've always said, and part of it is because of all the money they have and the production values, Formula One is so much slicker. You know, with the with the possible exception of the Indianapolis 500, because the networks and the you know they pour all kinds of money and it's a big deal. So they really do make the Indianapolis 500 as big of a deal as an IndyCar race ever could be. Other than that, though, it has a kind of a you know, and with the exception probably of Coda, just because again it has a it's a, such a nice facility. The average IndyCar race that's not in Indianapolis or Austin has kind of a a gritty kind of backwoods almost feel. It's just a, a step beyond NASCAR almost. Whereas Formula One seems like you drive your you you, you pilot your yacht up to the race <laughs> and or fly your Learjet in. You know, and and I don't mean any of this in a bad way. Honestly, I love that. I love those aspects of both series. But it just seems to me that Formula One is better at the spectacle. Again, other than the Indianapolis 500, Formula One is so good at making their drivers into rock stars. Indy treats their drivers like interesting guys who drive cars. Formula One treats them like they're in the Rolling Stones or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do, and, and that—that's the, the. I mean, the way the series is developed, and you know, if you look, I would say where Indy is now is where probably Formula One was. Um, probably late without without the fatalities, late seventies, right. early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before um, Bernie Eccleston, who for a long time ran Formula One, got his arms around it and turned it into a global sport. I mean, you know, the arrival of a Grand Prix in a country, um, you know, it's like a Super Bowl yeah. every other weekend somewhere around the world. Um, 
And, you know, for those particular places, that's the one time in the year that the, the circus arrives and it's a big deal. Obviously, with, with IndyCar, you know, it's them driving, you know, moving around primarily just, you know, North America mm-hmm. um, or just the United States. Then it's, you know, it's not quite the big deal other than, as you said, for the for the Indy 500. Um, it was actually pretty amazing. We got two races in Texas this year. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it doesn't... It, it's not that big. It's not the big event, um, unfortunately. Um, you know, even at, at Kodo, the the crowd was noticeably a lot thinner than it was for for, for F one because F one just pulls people in from all over the place. Right. Um, you know, people will fly in from around the world to an F one venue. Not so much in IndyCar. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm going back to the glory days of uh, of, of Champ Car and the sort of. Uh, Early '90s, um, you know, they used to. It wasn't just the US. They, they, you know, Champ Car Indy slash IndyCar would race in Australia. It would be in Brazil and Mexico. It was a pretty much a global series that pretty much um, was getting to the stage of starting to rival Formula One. So, um, you know, it just unfortunately the all the political stuff that happened after that um, that sort of devalued it, and it's gradually building itself back up and noticeably improving um both the show um the races the personalities the way it's presented is is starting to uh, i think it's starting to, to make inroads certainly starting to make inroads into the nascar um audience um and get you know growth from what i'm seeing a growth in ratings and and, and people watching so um there's i think there's a way to go but i think there's a lot of potential there for indycar to become a lot bigger than it is and continue to grow um, yeah I sense that, you know, I've, I've sensed that for the last couple of years. It pulled, yeah. it pulled me back in. I, you know, again, I watched it as a kid when it was Johnny Rutherford and AJ Foyt and Gordon Johncock and the Unsers and all that. And that was awesome. And then I kind of drifted away from it when they were having all their internal controversy and everything. I think a lot of people did, but they yeah. seem to really have their house back in order now and they're really putting on a good show and I'm, I've been very much enjoying it. And yeah, Formula One, I mean, it's, it, there's, there comes a point, and again, I love it. But there comes a point when it almost seems like it's becoming packaged and it, it, generic. You know, it's almost like everything, every track looks the same other than the shape. The podiums look the same. The, the, everything looks so similar. It's like they unpack it and, and pop it up like a circus tent every, every couple of weeks. And it, and, it's, I just, and it just seems kind of isolated from the crowd. I give, you know, I've always said this. I give Lewis Hamilton enormous credit because he never really forgets the fans. He's always about them. He's always going out and talking to them, waving at them, engaging them and everything. And not a lot of the other drivers, unfortunately, seem to do that. It, they almost seem like they show up at the office, they do their little thing, and they don't want to be bothered by the, the peons around them, you know. And I, I, at least Lewis has some of that old-timey, you know, interacting with the people. Does it, you know, you, you, do you see it that way? Yeah, I do. I mean, he, he is very good at uh, always making sure that he acknowledges the crowd, you know, even when they boo him, like in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he always makes sure he, he acknowledges the crowd and he talks, you know, talks about the crowd and the support and everything. Um, and, you know, that's part of the reason he has these sort of huge fan followings around the world. Sure. Um, so you know he embraces them. There's some of the there are some of the drivers who are just there to drive, and that's the way they see it. Um, there are some who are very uncomfortable doing all the PR stuff, um, and there are some who are good. I think who we, we probably know better if the sort of the PR restraints were taken off. Um, mm, interesting. A little, 
um, you know, I think the the Netflix form the Netflix documentary on Formula One that came out um, at the beginning of the season that basically showed uh, the twenty eighteen season from behind the scenes um, really brought out some of those personalities, yes. and I wish they would let those shine a bit more during the actual weekend. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, and not just you know not just the drivers, the team bosses, and you know a couple of them came out with very very interesting personalities came out of that uh, documentary. Was it, um, was, it Gunther, I, was it Gunther Steiner that was particularly <laughs> Gunther colorful? Steiner in particular? <laughs> yes, the team boss of Haas. Oh, he's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, they need more of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I, and I think there's an awareness of that. Um, you know, I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. You know, I hate to promote somebody else's podcast, but there's actually. Um, an excellent Formula podcast series now done officially by Formula One called uh, Beyond the Grid. Right. Um, and they, they actually have a Formula One, either a current driver or a recent driver or somebody from, you know, Formula One, um, not just drivers, engineers, managers, people involved in the sport once a week. And those are really candid um, interviews. And I wish we'd see more of that. Um, I also, also don't think it helps in the U.S. with the coverage that we get. Um, yeah. Because we don't get any of that build-up, we go straight into the race. Um, you know, then the podium. That's it. We don't see any of sort of the background build-up stuff um, that uh, some of the other folks do around the world. So I enjoyed um, the way NBC did it, and I was sorry when they lost it because I thought that Diffie and and his two guys in the studio were really good. And then they had Will Buxton down on the track running around doing stuff. The Sky people I don't enjoy nearly as much as the NBC people. Though at least Buxton is still getting to do something. He does the YouTube videos that are really good now. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, if you don't watch him, I always make a point of watching his Paddock Pass stuff before yes, and after really. the race. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, let's get yeah. into Formula One a little bit then. You, um, we, we were talking about doing like going up and down the grid, maybe starting at the, at the back end and working our way up to the, to the, to the pole sitter. So get us, yeah. get us kicked yes. off. I thought we'd we'd go with the uh, where the, the the teams stand after the seven races so far, and as you said, start start at the sort of the bottom of the list and work our way up towards Mercedes. Um, no nope. spoiler there that Mercedes <laughs> is at the top. No. Nope. Um, so uh, at the bottom, we got uh, the one that breaks my heart every weekend, uh, every other weekend is Williams. Uh, to see such a once mighty team, um, one of the ones that I supported for many years, just see them. So bad. Have so bad struggling at floundering around at the back. You know, they're not just slow, they're really slow. I mean, they're often two to two to three seconds off the pace. Um it's really, really hurts to see them that uh, you know I don't they've they've got personnel struggles. I mean they they brought in um you know, one of the the supposed top uh, engineers, and then put him on guard and leave pretty quickly hmm. um, when they, you know, stuff wasn't ready for for testing, and then, you know, they got financial issues, um, and then, you know, they've just had also an awful run of bad luck. I mean, if you think about um, Baku in practice when uh, a, a manhole cover came up and basically tore the bottom out of George Russell's car. That's right. Um, when they, you know, um, and it had to be Williams because they didn't have enough <laughs> enough oh. spares with them really to, to sort of rebuild a car. And then the next day, Robert Kubica put his in the wall, you know, so they were down two cars even before the race started and really didn't have the, the wherewithal to, to really um, 
bring you know that that hit them that they then couldn't afford to bring in the upgrades for the next race and that put them even further back i mean we're starting to see little signs of improvement i mean for goodness sake at one point george russell was actually the fastest man on track at monaco um so so they're getting these little bursts of speed but there, there seems to be something systematically wrong with the with the car design um that makes it slower so um you know i've been impressed with george russell and his, his attitude um that uh, you know he, he, he it's like he's t- you know every weekend's a test session we're making small improvements and stuff like that so um yeah um yeah, I was going to say Russell to me seems better than what he's working with. You know, in other words, I get the impression from him that he's not horrible, and and that if you if he if you put him in a decent car, he would be all right. I don't know. I get that sense from uh, from the other guy, but uh, uh, Kubica, <laughs> Kubica, no, um, yeah, I mean George Russell is you know last year's Formula Two champion, so he's no slouch. Right. Um, I think he's, you know, he he's got a lot of potential, and he's obviously, uh, you know, um, decided that uh, Williams is where he wants to be. Um, yeah, I was very happy when they, you know, Robert Kubica was going to come back in, and you know, I hope, but I don't think he, he's able to really cope with the struggles that the the, the team has. Um, you know, in his previous career, he was good and fast. Um, he seems to be struggling and you know we keep hearing that he thinks his car is very, very different from Russell's I don't know if that's true or not um so yeah I think he's just having problems overcoming the more problems overcoming the car's problems than George Russell is um so it's yeah sad to see them floundering around at the back but to be honest I don't see them doing much else this year and uh, I think it will take a huge investment and a new design team and you know um, I'm not even sh- you know maybe even all the way completely new management team or whatever i don't know but something drastic needs to happen there otherwise i think they're just going to disappear off the grid which would be a real shame given their history because when you look at the absolute records for team achievements you're looking at ferrari mclaren and williams are the people that hold all the uh, records so at least for now i think mercedes if they stay around long enough are going to rewrite that but yeah yeah uh, it is too bad all right who's uh who's net who's number nine Number nine is the Alfa Romeo team was Sauber. Um, Aww, this one's strange because they got in the you know the uh, the injection of money from Alfa Romeo. They sort of made became the junior Ferrari team, and, um, mm-hmm. and you know Kimi, they got Kimi Raikkonen over. Um, you know, on a two-year deal, um, brought in Giovinazzi from the Ferrari junior team. Uh, promised a lot in preseason testing. They look good. They look like they were you know going to be best of the rest and, and they they're just not delivering on it they, um, weren't, they weren't bad last year either i expected big things no. from them. yeah so I, I i don't know what's happening there um very strange um i think giovinazzi has been very disappointing um and we've had little flashes of the, the kimmy of old but, but uh yeah. I, again I, I don't know if there's a, a chassis issue there or, or whatever but uh they do seem to be struggling because they, they had a very different wing design than everybody else. Um, so I think they sort of tried to go in a, in a slightly different direction and maybe it just didn't work and they're trying to pull back from that. But not a lot of visibility of what's going on there, but it's very strange. The, we did get the one great line from Kimmy where he clearly doesn't keep up with what the teams are called. So he had a pink car cut him off and he goes over his radio. He says, uh, yeah I, yeah, I just got cut off by the Force India or whatever the bleep they're calling themselves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I about yeah. fell on the floor. I thought that was so funny. 
Yeah, oh, and then he, when it was his 300th Grand Prix, he basically kept telling people to stop reminding him that it was his 300th Grand Prix. <laughs> he was he didn't want to know. So. Oh, I love it. Kimmy's awesome. Yeah, uh, he is. So, he so is. for some reason, they're kind of disappointing, but uh, that just opens up a spot higher. So who's number eight? Well, actually, number eight is also disappointing. It's Haas. Um, oh, yeah. Gosh. Currently, um, they like, seem to be able to qualify really well, but then they're... Mm-hmm. In race trim, the car is just not handling. I, they keep saying they've got a problem with the way the car's using the tires and they're waiting for an upgrade from Pirelli and um, looking at the car. But again, they seem to have systematic issues with, uh, with the car. I keep using that word, don't I? Um, but they, they really do seem to be struggling in race trim. It's, it's strange because they, they say they're doing doing well in, the, in qualifying. Um, you know, often making it into the top ten for qualifying, and then by the, by the race they're just falling out of the points. They, um, and and Roman Grosjean seems to have the worst luck of anybody on the grid. Um, yeah, I think he said. I think he said at Canada he has Olympic level bad luck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they they uh, they're the team that just finds a way to mess up. I mean, whether they leave a tire un, a wheel unfastened, you know, or they just always seem to find it or hit the wall in you know in the in practice or in the qualifying. Because I think that, I mean, I honestly have no idea how good of a driver uh, Grosjean is because something always happens to, to, to blow him up. I think Kevin Magnussen is a really good driver. He's, he, when given the opportunity, he has impressed me. It's just that, like you say, the car just yeah. isn't there during the races this year, and it's a strange thing. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Magnussen is actually in the top ten of the driver points, which is amazing considering what's going on with the car. But yeah. he is... He's all guns blazing or nothing. Yeah. Um, and when he's all guns blazing, he's great to watch. Um, uh, and he's he's one of the few guys who will actually speak his mind um, and get told off for it, like happened at the other, last weekend in Canada. He did, yeah. Um, when Gertha Steiner told him to shut up because uh, <laughs> he was complaining about the car too much. Too much. You know. Um, yeah, like, we but, get it. Uh, we get it, Kevin. We get it. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um yeah, I, Kevin's Kevin's Magnuson is is one of those guys when you know you know he'll go wheel to wheel, you know he'll take the risk uh, for for an overtake maneuver. So he's great to watch. But uh, we said you know that they just seem to have problems with the car. The, the car just does not seem to work well in race trim. So. I haven't thought about this before, but you know where I would like to. Obviously, if he's not going to get a Ferrari or mercedes seat anytime soon and in fact he's probably more likely at this point the way things are going to go down rather than up but if i could move him up i would put him in pierre gasly's red bull seat and see what happens that with him him and max verstappen together if they didn't kill each other like 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 max and and ricardo almost did a lot of times i think that would be a really interesting i mean you're you're, you're taking a hand grenade and tossing him right in the middle of the first three rows basically that you're not the first person to say that. That uh, has rumor has surfaced in the last few weeks. Um, I don't know if me. it's I'm wishful, wishful film at somebody's point, but uh, yeah, it would be an interesting move. No, I had I, just, I thought of that entirely just on my own just now. I just uh, just because I mean I you know I miss having the other Red Bull driver be entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Ricardo was if nothing else entertaining, and it's just. It's taken something away from the sport, I think, this year to put Ricardo in a largely uncompetitive car and leave Max with an uncompetitive partner. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll get to them in a minute. But I think you're right. I think you know, Magnussen in the second Red Bull would be a very interesting move. I don't know whether they could do it yeah. contractually or whatever, but uh, 
I, yeah, I think that would be, be fine. that would be great to see. So, who went to number seven? Number seven is Toro Rosso. Uh, um, pair of relatively quick cars. Um, again, you know, coming, moving away from being at the back of the grid to further up. Um, Danny Kvyat's been pretty good on his third go round at F1. It's amazing that he's actually he's got a third try at F1. Normally you get one and out, um, so, but this is his third time round. So he, he seems to be doing okay, but get, but getting involved again in a lot of incidents, I was, I was going through the races and writing notes. I just realized how often I was riding crack crash with Kavir or Kavir bump or, um, so he, he seems to be getting involved in a lot of things, not always of his own making, but he just seems to be a little bit in the wrong place at the wrong time too. Um, yeah. but he seems to have a sort of, cooler head on his shoulders this time around um i've been very impressed with alex Albon. i think he's been probably the the quietest of the of the three rookies um and achieved the most um i think he's done some great race drives um shown a lot of maturity particularly when he had that uh huge i'm just trying to think which race it was now but there was one where he had the china where he had the big crash in free practice three and basically completely wrecked the car um and then during the race, he managed to push himself, you know, pretty far up, up the, up the grid from the, from the pit lane. So, um, yeah, I, he, he seems a very calm, calc- I would say calm and calculated, but not in a, in a sort of negative way. He, he just seems to have a very mature head on his shoulders, very humble. Um, but I think he's, he, he's got a big future ahead of him. Um, and, you know, Maybe he's the one that should be in the second Red Bull. Um, yeah, that's that's been done before. So, I, I, well, well, obviously, yeah, from Toro Rosso. But I just hadn't I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, that's that would be interesting too. Yeah, he has impressed me again. We haven't seen as much of him. The Toro Rossos this year just kind of been muddling along in the middle, but but not at the bottom. So give them credit because you know they're, they're they're usually like number eight or number nine. It seems like so having them up even seven for them is kind of climbing. It seems like a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, very much so, and to you know, get into the place where they're they're actually getting both cars to the end of the end of the race as well was uh, yeah, you know, it's good. So yeah, yeah. Um, then ahead of them we have the uh, aforementioned not Force India, <laughs> the pink cars as I think of them. Yes, yeah, the pink cars. Yeah, uh, what is it now? Uh, racing point, racing something pointless. or or something racing point. I can't. But yes, uh, racing, yeah, racing point or racing pointless. Um, yeah, that's right. This is basically this is the uh, stroll team. Yeah, the stroll team. team stroll. Yes, the, yeah. I bought. I bought the daddy bought the team so his son can get keep a drive. Um, I mean, I know they're making a big investment in the team, and they're they're making investment in a new headquarters building and oh, new wow. facilities. And I I just worry that um, because if Lance Stroll doesn't get much better, that his daddy may throw a fit and take the money and walk at some point in the next year or two. Um, so I have a concern as to how long that, that investment's going to go or whether his dad actually stays um, as part of the owners. Um, because I must admit, I've been very unimpressed with Stroll. Um, oh, yeah. I, you know, basically daddy bought him a team and he got the opportunity to really step up and his qualifying is terrible. He's pretty much gets knocked out every single qualifying session at the beginning he, he was he was he did better on a bad team than he's doing on a halfway decent team this year this i would argue this has been his worst season that i've seen he was not i mean he was with williams all those years you know three or four two or three four years 
and he wasn't at the back. I mean, he wasn't like Kubica. You know, he was. He was. He got a podium once. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, he, he's. He seems to have this uh, ability to sort of overtake quite a few people on the first lap, and and again in Canada, you know, he moved, he worked his way up to ninth from from at the back of the grid, so mm-hmm. he can do it when he tries. I just, I don't know, he just doesn't seem to really engage, and he certainly needs to work on his single lap speed so he can actually qualify higher, qualify higher up the grid, and then he probably wouldn't need to be fighting quite so many people, um, and maybe even start getting in the points. Uh, I mean, in the, and in the meantime, um, Perez is doing his great job that he did when he was Force India, and he continues to do. Um, he's really built that team around him, and he just keeps, uh, you know, uh, doing a good, solid job, and he's now, uh, you know, number 10 in the driver's standings. So, um, Which is number four in F1.5. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. So. so we're out of the bottom half of the table, top of the table. Um, yeah, we have uh, next up, uh, you just mentioned, uh, Renault, um, with, uh, who made the big gamble and paid the big bucks for Daniel Ricciardo and then um, seemed to have really been struggling with engine issues, mm. um, certainly for the first sort of five or six races. I mean, the last uh, in Canada, uh, Ricciardo managed to qualify fourth, which was, like, amazing. Um so, you know, they're starting to show some speed, but they, they had, you know, um, engine issues early on. And then there was the uh, the weird one where the, uh, I'm just trying to think which race it was, uh, with Bahrain, in Bahrain, where basically the two, the two Renaults were uh, retired simultaneously at different points of the track, both with yeah. some sort of mechanical issue. Yeah, they both st- stopped almost at exactly the same point but on different parts of the track um mm-hmm. uh and i think there's a bit of you know there's the rivalry there with uh hulkenberg because he now has somebody in the in the team he really has to fight to beat so we've had some we've had some interesting wheel-to-wheel races between those two um mm-hmm. but you know i think i think they they saw themselves that they were going to be the head of you know uh class one <laughs> Class B or F one point five, however you want to put it, um, you know they were they were going to be the best of the rest. Um, so I think there was a little bit of uh, complacency there, maybe um, that you know they could do that easily. Um, that's not proved to be the point. Um, there's a lot of talk about them bringing big upgrades to the French Grand Prix next weekend. Um, you know, it's their home race. All the big yeah, bosses from Renault are going to be there, so they'll be expecting something. So we'll be interested to see what happens. Well, here's but, my my quick thoughts on Renault. Um, they're only two points out of fourth place or the leader uh, leaders of F1.5. And, and yeah. by the way, for those who don't know what we're talking about, when I say F1.5, it's pretty much a given that Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull will be the top six cars every almost every race unless something happens. So when we, we say 1.5 to mean position seven through 20 because <laughs> it's like you might as well fight for that you're not gonna you know you're, it's very rare that you get to fight in the top six okay just want to make sure that was clear to everybody now um the thing about renault they're only two points behind fourth place and i think and 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 i don't think anybody saw who was going to be in fourth place i'll i'll save that little announcement to let you do it in a second which is shocking to me but good for them but here's the thing it's not that they're only two points out of fourth place. It's that they're that the top three teams are so vastly far ahead. In other words, the number one team has 295 points. The number two team has 172. The number three has 124. 
And then four and five have 30 and 28. So it's like even if Renault had three more points and was in fourth place where they thought they would be, they would still be like 100 points behind the next, you know, the top three, the, the worst of the top three teams. So they, you know, again, they're, they're two points away from being where they want to be, and yet they're somehow nowhere near where they want to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think they're looking at a, you know, a two, you know, I'm sure Ricardo is looking at a two, three-year program to get them back into being sort of competitive. Um, I think that's probably a little ambitious unless they do something really special. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, they are a manufacturer's team. You know, they are, a, you know, the world's largest car maker, I believe. So, you know, they should they should have the, the capabilities along to be alongside Mercedes and Ferrari. Absolutely. Um, um, you know, and I, I know that they've been rebuilding the team. I mean, you know, the last couple of years, they, they, they are bringing a lot of people on very quickly and growing the team again. Um, so, you know, that, that takes time. But I think it's getting to the point now where we, they really should be starting to see results. Um, and uh, it's amazing that they're still having engine issues and reliability issues. Um, I, you know, I understand part of the problem before was like, the way the crankshaft was manufactured or something. And for somebody like Renault to have problems like that is just crazy. Um, so, but I'd like to see them back at the top, um, fighting for wins. I think that would be great. And I hope uh, Ricardo's uh, gamble pays off in the next couple of years, because it would be a, it would be a shame if he never got a chance to go for a championship. I know he was working his way up and it just seems like he kind of took a step down unless something really dramatic happens, but it could end up being like, you know, when Hamilton went to Mercedes, you just never, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, you know, that's how he sees it is the opportunities to build a team around him uh, and, and drive that team forward. So, so number four, Alan, this, this is a shocker to me because for the last two or three seasons, (laughs) they've been down there with Williams it's awesome to see McLaren back fighting for top 10 finishes and being fourth in the championship. I'd like to see him back fight challenging the top three, but that's not going to happen soon. But uh, it's great to see McLaren um, really, uh, particularly being a, uh, you know, a Renault customer team ahead of Renault as well. Um, So yeah, it's just amazing to see them starting to make a recovery. Um, It does make you wonder how the team dynamics have changed and now that maybe they're actually all working together as a team instead of working for one person. Um, so whether that's part of it, but uh, it is, you know, they, they do seem to be working t- together. The two drivers seem to be working together. Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, I've been uh, very impressed by, um, by science since he moved over from Renault to McLaren. He sort of seems to have found a home where he's happy. And, uh, and Lando Norris has, has been quite, a surprise too he's uh, pulled in some good races he had some bad luck um but uh yeah very 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 happy to see mclaren um back in the top 10 most of the races and certainly being fourth in the uh, in the constructors championship is is great um uh still a few still a few things i mean we had uh, in the early races we had science's car get overheat and get too uh, too hot and burst into flames and uh I think that was uh, in Australia at the first race. And then uh, last race in Canada, we had the weird thing with uh, Norris's uh, brakes getting so hot that they melted the suspension and caused the wheel to almost fall off. Gosh, that was incredible. That was incredible. Just melted the axle, basically. 
Yeah, yeah, oh God, and then so burst into flames. So, yeah. so they've they've obviously still got some design and heating and cooling issues with the with the Renault power plant and and the way the cars put together. But uh, um, it seems to seems to handle really well. And they've had a couple of you know, there's been like a couple of times when both of them have got taken out by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I think they could could actually have more. They did have a little bit more luck. I think they'd have had even more. Um, more points than they've got, so they'd still be a way off Red Bull. Um, but I think they may have had a little a few more points than they've currently and, got. And even so, Signs is basically leading F one point five ahead of. He's like two points ahead of Ricardo. Uh, yeah, he is. Yeah, so I was just having cool. a quick look down. You're right. Actually, he's the first non-big. Yeah, he is. Non-big he's three, the. Yeah, he's just ahead of yeah. Ricardo and Magnussen. So that's Magnussen. Awesome. Yeah, Good yeah. So, right, so very impressed. Very impressed with McLaren. Very happy to see it. Oh yeah. Um, um, and hoping one day Williams will follow their lead. But uh, I, <laughs> I want to see those papaya orange and blue cars up there doing well. I also want to see them in Indianapolis, in Indy. But that's a whole other story we'll get to in a minute. All right, we're we'll the, get to that story. Yes, yes, we we're <laughs> so. to the we're to the big three. All right, so uh, Red Bull, interesting this year. I mean, they're proving to be strong with a new Honda engine. Um, seems to have been a good move for them. Um, a quick car, but not quite quick enough. Um, they, I think they probably got the quickest, best balance package mm. on the car. Um, but I think, you know, Ferrari are quicker down the straights and Mercedes are yeah. quicker around the corners and McLaren, uh, Red Bull seem to have it sort of worked out, but they're just not quite there. Yeah. Um, I think Verstappen's been probably the best consistent driver in the field so yes. far. Yes. Um, this 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 season, um, I think unfortunately for him, it's actually meant he's had a few boring races where he's had nobody in front of him and nobody <laughs> behind him, and he's just sort of tooled around um, in whatever you know in either third, fourth, or fifth position wherever the, the car. We've had a, a couple of sort of max attacks. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, go, going going around the outside of Vettel um, a couple of times, uh, and then obviously at Monaco we got the him harassing Hamilton and then making that sort of do or die lunge at the end. Um, well, he had to do something. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, but um, but you mentioned it a couple of times. The, the Gasly in the second car um, mm. seems to have single lap speed because he seems to like going for that one new point that you get for fastest lap. Yeah. He's got a couple of those. Um, but uh, I think I actually heard somebody call it the other day the Pierre Gasly Memorial Point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny though is it's usually not a good sign. Well, the one time the one time that Bottas did it in the first race, he was winning anyway. But it's usually a bad sign. It's it's it, we didn't know this until they started doing it, right? We were wondering. Yeah. When they said we're going to yeah. put the one point for the fastest lap, people are like, "Oh, how is that going to play out?" Well, here's the answer. More often than not, it plays out that one of the teams, whichever team, one of the team's drivers is doing well, so they just bring the other one in who's not doing well anyway, put new tires on him with like four laps to go and say, "Go out there and do a fast lap." Yeah, and it tends to be Pierre Gasly because he yeah. tends to have the, the the gap to be able to do it. So, um, exactly. yeah, it, I mean, he, he seems to be getting a little better. I, he was clearly not happy in the Red Bull to start with, um, but seems to be getting a little better as the season goes on, but not impressed. I'd like to say I wouldn't surprise me at some point if uh, they do this year what they did a few years ago and switch switch a driver out of Toro Rosso into Red Bull and demote the Red Bull driver back into Toro Rosso um, 
it, that wouldn't surprise me. Like I say, there's already sort of rumors around who could replace him in the Red Bull. So uh, I, I think he's under a bit of pressure um, to, to get things to get things done and, and get closer to Max. Um, Which is hard. Yeah. I mean, he's going up against his teammate who's really good. I mean, you know, Max yeah. is, is doing is – Max is getting the best he can out of that car. It's just that the separation between the two of them is is vast, relatively speaking. I don't know that there's any other – I don't know that there's any, any other two cars out there, you know, as teammates that there's that big of a separation usually as between those two. They're usually – Usually the teams are fairly closely paired up. It seems like. Yeah, you're right, and and that, and it's fairly obvious that there is a large gap between uh, the number one and number two driver at Red Bull at the moment. So, um, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if Gasly lost that drive at some point in the year. And Max has just been driving, I think, a lot more level-headedly this year. Like you said, he hadn't had as many opportunities to do crazy stuff like he has in the past, but I feel like he's been making better choices. Yeah, um, I, there's been a few times where he sort of sat back and waited for opportunities to come to him rather than <laughs> do crazy do. stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it, you know, there's, there's a very diff, definite change for the good in terms of maturity since Monaco last year when he stuffed it into the barriers yeah. unnecessarily. And then after that, he seems to have, you know, I don't know whether he's listened to his dad, who's an XF1 driver, or somebody's taken him on side, but he seems to have um, realized that, you know, if he's in this for the long term, he needs to sort of start thinking the longer game and um, understand. His racecraft seems to have improved. As a, I mean, he's still got the sheer speed and he's still got the, you know, the he's still probably the, he and Ricardo are probably still the best two at overtaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he's definitely definitely calmed down, uh, but calmed down in a good way. But it's still exciting. I I always still like it when he you know something happens and he he's down, he gets stuck down in uh, you know P nine or or whatever to uh, and has to work his way up. It's still still entertaining to watch him work his way through the field. He's so good at that. Yeah, absolutely. And we need yeah. more rain races because he's so good in the rain. He's a mutter. He's a mutter. <sighs> well, that takes us to the top two and. Alan, uh, to, to paraphrase the dude in office space, um, 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 I, I was told there would be a competition this year. There hasn't really been much of a competition this year. Ferrari has been a firm, firm number two, and they don't seem to be heading upward. I, even, even, the one, even the one time that they had it, they had it taken away this year. So what's the deal with number two? Um, I think uh, Ferrari are absolutely brilliant this year at snatching um, <laughs> de- defeat from the jaws of victory. Oh, no <laughs> kidding. Um, they just can't seem to get out of their own way this year. No. Um, they have had some very, very strange um, strategy calls. Um, they don't seem to know what to do with their two drivers. Um, no. You know, I, whether who's number one or who's number two or when to call people in or when to do team orders. Um, that's, it's, it's really strange. Um, they seem to be focused on racing each other rather than racing Mercedes. And they just seem to be getting in their way, their own way. Um, we've had, and you, you know, at uh, preseason testing, it, it looked like they were the fastest and Mm -hmm. they were, uh, you know, going to be, 
the ones to beat and we were going to have a real competition. But uh, as you quite rightly point out, that's doesn't seem to be happening. Even when they've a couple of times, they've had one, two um, wins. Um, you know, it looked like at one point that uh, Leclerc was going to go for his first win and then had an engine problem and had to keep, keep that going. Um, I will say, you know, I think they've got a combination of two, Fairly volatile drivers in 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 different ways. Uh, you know, Leclerc's the young hotshot coming in. He still needs to calm down a bit, um, but he's very impressive. I mean, at Monaco, he was the only guy to overtake people at Monaco mm-hmm. uh, until he tried it and then clicked the wall and it didn't work. And then, of course, he decided to drive in, wreck his car driving it round a full lap instead of parking it. So, uh, bought out a yellow. Um, put up the safety car so um he's he's really got flashes of brilliance um but i think and, and he's very again very mature very balanced out of the car but i think he sometimes just needs to calm down a little, little bit in the car um and then vettel for a four-time world champion is still making stupid stupid mistakes um you know we got the the, the um in Bahrain where they had the you know the one two and then Leclerc got his engine problem and then Vettel just spun for no apparent reason as Hamilton was trying to take overtake him. Um you know Hamilton went around the outside of him and Vettel didn't t- they didn't touch or anything and Vettel just spun it away and then flat spotted the tires and then trying to get back he ripped the front wing off his car. Um you know and then in uh, in Monaco he it was him that put Leclerc out because he was down in uh, in a low position because he touched touched the the wall uh, trying to qualify at Monaco, um, and then of course at uh, you know at Canada we get him uh, going off off track, um, going onto the grass and then squeezing Hamilton against the wall as he comes back in and getting his uh, controversial five second penalty. So um, Let, let's let's be honest. Which which as which as you said you know meant he he crossed the line first but got the win taken away from him because he wasn't. He wasn't five seconds ahead of Hamilton, so he ended up second. So. I say, let, let's be honest about Sebastian Vettel. If you give him the best car and he's out front of everybody, or if you ask him to go do a pole lap, he's pretty good. But if you put him in any kind of traffic, in any kind of stressful situation, he just has never, that I've ever seen, never exhibited the mental strength I mean, and he's so petulant about it too. I mean, every time something goes against him, his reaction is like a three-year-old. It always is, and I keep thinking, well, he's gonna—he's an older—he's an elder statesman now. He needs to be, you know, setting the example for good. Instead, he's out there making Max Verstappen look like the the, the mature, calm elder <laughs> statesman. You know, that's a—that's a scary thing to say. But you know, like he—just he, two instances. One, he. The way he bashed, you know, a couple of years ago at, at Baku, bashed Lewis Hamilton in the side because he brake checked him, you know, rather than just say, "Hey, that wasn't cool," and I'm going to protest. Instead, he goes, he tries to retaliate in front of God and everybody. And then this time, it, it, it's not enough that I mean, we all understand. We all understand, Seb, that you're mad that they took, they gave you the five second penalty, and we can talk about that. But you know, he parks his car. He just he make he has to make a. He has to be so demonstrative about it. Like, we don't already know he's mad, you know? He has to park his car a mile away, walk up, move the little 
the number one and the swap the number one, number two around in front of Hamilton's car, and then act like he's the aggrieved party when he's out there basically throwing the equivalent of a temper tantrum. I just, I don't understand why it's so hard for him to just be a mature person. He, 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 he can't. He just can't let thing. He he just can't not pitch a fit of some kind or other. And then he always has the gall afterwards to deny it. Oh, I didn't do anything, you know. God, we all saw you. You know, come on. So, uh, but you want personalities, and hey, he's a personality. He is so. a personality. That's true. Yeah, you're right. As long as you're not cheering for him. <laughs> He's he's very entertaining. If I I can't I think if I if he were my favorite driver and I were living and dying by him winning every week and and how it played out, I'd have pulled all my hair out by now just because of the way he just uh the way he reacts. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean I think I think he's unsettled by the arrival of Leclerc in the team. I, you know, with Kimi, he he had a clear number two who you know, yeah. God bless him, Kimi. Kimi was there to you know be the hobbyist and drive around and uh, you know, help out and cash his check. Um, yeah. Leclerc's, there to, Leclerc's there to take over the team. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he he's the next generation of Ferrari and he, you know, that, that that's what he's, he's there for. And, he, you know, and he's, he's got, I think some of that pure natural talent, the Vettel had in the early days, but uh, I think that unsettles Vettel. He's no, no longer clearly the number one. Um, and he always does seem to, um, crumble a little under pressure. What I do like actually is the um, relationship with him and Hamilton. They clearly like racing with each other, next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they clearly respect each other. So um, I, I think that's you know there's a great relationship there. Um, and Vettel is, is quick, and the Ferrari's quick. I mean, the, the Ferrari seems to be the quickest car on track, um, and particularly in a straight line. Um, but it seems very susceptible to. Strange things like weather changes in temperature and um, stuff. So it, it's um, and then they say and then you know just these little mistakes in the cockpit and then mistakes on the pit wall and mistakes on the strategy calls. Um, just they just seem to be getting in their own way um, yeah. and unsure what unsure what they're doing with the drivers and unsure what the where the team's going. I do did hear that they're actually on this slight break. They're actually looking at. Um, completely restructuring the way the team is organized uh, internally. Um, Good. <laughs> uh, and trying to, trying, to, trying to take it back to how it was organized during the, the glory, the Michael Schumacher glory years. So, um, I, wow. I, you know, and I also think uh, that, that there's a sort of different culture at, uh, at Ferrari than there is at Mercedes. And Mercedes has a, a, a no blame culture um, that, you know, if something goes wrong, they find out, you know, okay, Something happened. Let's find out what the problem is. Fix it and move on. Um, well, I think Ferrari tends to be a bit of uh, Italian finger pointing and gesturing. So uh, I think, you know, I think that sort of thing also plays into it. So. Well, I, say what you will about Nico Rosberg. He exhibited a hundred times more mental strength against Lewis than than Vettel does at the stressful times. So, oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. Well. Uh, that gets us to the top, top of the table, yeah. as always. I, no strangers. That gets us to uh, to Mercedes, and uh, who would have thought at the beginning of the season that they would set a new record of five consecutive one-two 
um, finishes and after seven races they've won seven um, I don't know if they're going for McLaren's record of 15 wins in a season um, but uh, it's looking like it um, I don't see how they can fail I mean yeah. the, only, the only way they can yeah. fail is if Lewis's car blows up and Bottas is beaten by Leclerc or Vettel or Max that's the only mm-hmm. way I can imagine it happening yep so uh, I just amazing. I think the the great thing about Mercedes is they just seem to put themselves in the right position to capitalize on anybody else's mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a few of the races where they, you know, clearly did not expect to win at the start of the weekend. Uh, were on the back foot and have come away with a one-two finish. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, I think they have the process, they have the mentality, um, they have the people, and they have the ability to adjust their strategy on the fly um, to really put themselves in a position. And the, the interesting thing, certainly for the first five races, is they had two drivers who were um, almost on a par in terms of their results. Um, you know, we had uh, the uh, the Mirror Universe Valerie, Valtteri <laughs> Botas 2.0 we did. to start the season with the new beard. Um, yeah. And he, he seemed like a completely different guy. He, really um, he seemed like he used to when he was at Williams he was quick he was aggressive he was uh, he was focused um, and he was taking it unfortunately we've seen the last couple of races it slightly sl- slipped back to yep. old where Val- he was old Valtteri old- is back yeah I mean like in Canada he couldn't g- seem to get himself past Ricardo's Renault um, but uh, yeah the first four or five races it looked like we had a real close competition I also like the fact that Mercedes has let them race we've had so many races where the t- you know, the first few laps or even partway through a race, the two of them have gone wheel to wheel. Um, you know, uh, Ferrari have been very blatant about the uh, about the, the team orders and making one driver pass the other and then switching them back. And um, uh, But Mercedes has, has let their guys uh, race each other wheel to wheel, which is, is great. You know, it's a little hot. Must uh, set a few hearts going on the Mercedes uh, pit wall on occasions, but uh, I think from a spectator point of view, is really great to see. Um, particularly when they we're doing it somewhere like at uh, Baku, where you know there's not a lot of room um, yeah. to go wheel to wheel side by side round a corner, but they were doing it, and that's great to see. So. Botas so. is like the last driver in this entire field you'd expect to really go for it to pass somebody. That's the impression I get. If he's if he's on the pole and he can start up front clear and never really have to fight somebody, he's great. But if you put him two or three people back, he's just never going to pass those people. He just yeah, he doesn't seem to have that killer instinct very much. He, at the beginning of the season, he looked like he'd kind of gone and found it. Now he's already lost it again. Yeah, I was going to say for the first sort of four or five races, it seemed to be there. He was taking that opportunity, and he was, and he was pulling in the uh, you know the pole position and the fast laps as well. So, um, yeah, but uh, uh, but yeah, it seems it seems to have drifted away. I'm hoping I'm hoping it will uh, we'll see Botas version two come back um, need for back. a few more races. One other thing I want to mention real quick, I had I hadn't realized this. We're so used to Max Verstappen's finishes reading like, you know, sixth, did not finish, retired, fourth, retired, retired, 19th, retired, fifth, you know, like that. This season, he finished fifth last week in Canada, and fifth was the lowest he's finished all year. 
He's been three, four, 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 three, four, and then a five. And I mean, yeah. considering that again, he's in like at best the fifth best car, finishing three, four, 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 three, four in the fifth best car. His worst finish is his natural position so far this season. That's pretty amazing. It is, and that's what I was saying. I think he's consistently he's the most consistent driver so far this mm-hmm. you know um, this year. I, I mean, obviously, you could say Lewis is with you know what was it uh, one two three, five five wins in two seconds. That's pretty consistent. Yeah, but it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I you know, with all due respect to Lewis, he's lucked into a couple of those, and I think he has. Max has driven his way into into those positions, with the exception of Monaco, of course, where that fourth should actually be a second. Right, that's a good point. Yeah, and then he'd be back ahead of well, I guess he's Vettel's gotten far enough ahead of him now, but it, it sure would have helped though. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. All right. So what else do we have to cover about Formula One before we switch over to IndyCar? Uh, let's see. We talked about the the the, the ones who were impressing me. We talked about the ones who were not. Um, talked about the championship. I, I think that sort of we pretty much covered all the ground there. Um, yeah. I, I would say, uh, you know, we've had some, it, it, the, the stats wouldn't really show it with the dominance of Mercedes, but I actually think we've had some pretty good races in this uh, first uh, seven races. Um, I think Baku didn't hold, hold up to its usual fun um, this year. And, uh, you know, I think and Monaco's, I think some people thought Monaco was a bit boring, but I loved the, the attrition of Max just winding Lewis in. It was an amazing drive by Lewis. Um, you know, to, to last 20 laps on tires that have clearly gone off uh, and hold everybody else up. So, um, yeah, I think there's there's been some uh, there's some really good uh, been some really good races this year. I don't think there's been any real duds. Um, well, I, I think we've had something to look forward to in each of them. But I would just say I thought Monaco was horrible. I yeah. Okay. Any 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 race. Where and this is two years in a row, right? Because didn't Ricardo do this last year, or was it two years ago? Any any track where you can be running so much worse than the cars behind you, and they and you still win because it's just simply impossible to pass somebody. It's not a race. I mean, that's like a that's like racing on a slot car toy track with only one slot. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Leclerc Leclerc showed it. You you can. Pass. I mean, he passed crash. a few people, and and science passed both the Toro Rossos. Um, so it's possible. Mm. Um, I, you know, I think one of one of Lewis's um, great skills is the ability to put his car in just the perfect place on the track that makes it difficult. And not just at Monaco, but just generally, he yeah. just seems to have that ability to know exactly where to place the car to make it difficult for the person behind to to overtake, which is usually Vettel who doesn't have the skill to read that or doesn't seem to yeah um <laughs> that's a good point too yeah yeah so uh, no I, I i enjoyed uh i enjoyed monaco this year so uh but uh did you have any thoughts about the canada incident with uh lewis and, and vettel um i will say when it was originally announced i was livid <laughs> i was like just let them race it's a racing incident mm. um I still think they should have just let them race. I think it, it was a racing incident. Yes, Lewis did have to check up. Um, but, uh, you know, if you take the rules in isolation, yes, Vettel broke the rule, and that's the penalty for the rule, uh, for, for, for breaking that rule. But I think if, I think you had to take it in the bigger context of it. It was a fight for the lead. 
championship contenders. It was towards the end of the race. You know, um, you're going to throw the. I you know I, I I don't like anything where the result on track doesn't stand. I you know I'd much rather if they're going to do a, a time penalty, add it to his qualifying time and push him to the back of the grid at the next race or something. Don't change the result of the, of the race on yeah, track. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I was, you say the rule, you know, rules are written for the, uh, the guidance of the wise and the obedience of idiots. Um, <laughs> yes, he broke the rule. I think they should have applied a bit of common sense and guidance. Uh, you know, the stewards did their job. I can't complain. You know, the stewards have to enforce the rule, um, the way it's written, they have to enforce it in isolation, um, with precedents, looking at precedents. I, I think the stewards, the way the stewards um, are, operate and the way the rules are enforced in F1, they need more leniency. They need the ability to um, take the bigger picture sometimes, I think, um, and let things slide. And I think I think in that case, they should have just take, taken that wider view and let it slide and just called it a racing incident and let him go. So. Yeah. Before we continue, we have to thank the fine supporters who keep our programs on the air here at White Rocket Entertainment. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks and be part of the program and receive various benefits, including getting to participate in our annual Fantasy Formula One League. Just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or just go to patreon.com and search Plexico, and you can join up and receive all the various benefits. You can join our Formula One League and know that you are helping out to keep our shows on the air. And we thank each one of you personally in just about every episode we record. For this month, we have to thank, of course, Brendan O'Dwyer, Samuel Salvatore, Christopher Burleson, Carl Von Drunker, Phil Amthor, Winston Boddy, Willie Carden, Susan Trawick, Ben Spooner, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens, along with Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, David Hegler, Robert Mendenhall, Johnny Caldwell, Reynolds Wolf, Joshua Corbett, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, Will Summerford, John McCune, Tom Anderson, David Evers, along with Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Jared Albrecht, William Glenn Matthews, and Joel Beckham, Theodore Gary, Shannon Butson, Taylor Sanford, Mickey B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Logan Chilton, Tony Perry, Alex Nguyen, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, and Dave Powell. And then there's Jeremy Minton, Lane Middleton, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Chris Camo, Darren Pyle, Chris, Wardam Wade, Jason Albrick, Randall Walker, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Keith, Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Russell Milling, Matthew Wagstaff, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, Spanky, Brent Rumble, J.W. Rice, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, and our one-time donors, including Surfer Chickify and the others, including the anonymous donors. All of you, thank you so much. We appreciate it, and you folks can join their ranks and help the show by just going to www.patreon.com and search Plexico or White Rocket, or go to www.plexico.net. Now back to the show. All right, so IndyCar. I, I really <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed the 2019 IndyCar season. And can you believe, Alan, there's only 17 races, so we're already over halfway done with it. It makes me want to cry because I don't want this season to ever end. And particularly as a big Alexander Rossi fan, I don't want this season to end anytime soon because Rossi has been so 
close in almost every race, and yet he's finished first only once, and he keeps finishing second behind one of those dang Penskys. So what's been your overall kind of thoughts about the IndyCar season so far well, this year? Um, I'm with you. I'm loving watching Alexander Rossi uh, um, lose. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it's fair, yeah. Yeah, he's making the season for me. Um, I think it, it's it's been a... I will be honest, I'm not a huge Joseph Newgarden yeah. fan, and the fact that he seems to be winning and leading the championship is like, eh. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. You know, I think Rossi is an immense talent and a great personality. Um, I don't know if you saw the interview that he did just after he yes. lost the Indy 500. Um, it was oh, yeah. real fun. I think I think actually you were the one who posted it. I went, sorry, he was, you know. Um, yeah, he he's great to watch and uh, definitely making the season. And I think he's... I think he said it, you know, when he won Indy the first time around, it was sort of a bit of a, you know, who is this guy? He's new in town. He's not really shown his, you know, he, that he's got it. But now he's got a couple of full seasons under his belt. And, you know, he, he I think he really is one of the established guys in IndyCar and really showing what he can do this season. Absolutely. Yeah. Though he did, he did blow my mind at Texas by not having a Napa-sponsored <sighs> car. And it took me ages to find. Oh, <laughs> like, right. What? Yeah, he like heard her. Yeah, it, he he and Herta look like a Formula One team. <laughs> yeah, they needed like, a little, well, ye- little yellow tennis ball colored thing up on top of one of them so we would know which one was which. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's yeah, right. no, I, I've been loving watching Rossi. Here. Just his, uh, I mean, at Indy, the way he came back when he was uh, angry and annoyed, and just some of the moves he was pulling was just oh. absolutely amazing. Angry Rossi is the best Rossi. Come on, yeah, yeah, I oh, love it exactly. I love when exactly. he gets ticked off and he's just like, all right, I'm coming. <laughs> Get the yeah. bit between his teeth and he's coming. And, oh, uh, yeah. I, I will say when we, we got to – and we'll you know, maybe talk about it in a minute. But uh, when we – they they were at Coda and we were at the race there and watching him um, just you know hunt people down and stuff was great. And he was looking like a potential winner or at least a second place there until the yellow came out at the wrong moment. But, um, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, been um, his, that's been his thing all season, Alan, is that – He'll, he, he, he will drive a great race. He will do nothing wrong, and except for one, for one exception in Indianapolis, even his pit crew this year seems to have their act together. In the past, he's had to overcome them too in past seasons. He'll do everything right. He'll be just cruising right along, and it seems like almost every race, either a yellow flag will come out at the wrong time or some other driver, often New Garden, will pull some brilliant strategy out of their rear end, and suddenly he's in second place. And I'm like, what just happened? Because there's, there's, there hasn't really been an occasion where he's lost a race. It's just been that somebody else did something to beat him. Yeah, true. I mean, he, he is invariably the fastest, most aggressive person on track doing most of the passing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It, at, 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 at Indy, it was Pagano just having a slightly more powerful car and, and being able to hold him off at the end and an incredible finish we're talking about. And um, at the others, it's been a yellow flag come out. Or uh, like at, at Texas, New Garden did something to do with like when he did his last pit stop that let him go from like ninth to first. I remember, you know, Ross, it was funny. After the race, Rossi said the same thing I was saying, which is like, where did he come from, you know? He was nowhere. No, he wasn't. Uh, it was a interesting and very productive strategy move. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's a little frustrating, but it's also interesting to, to watch. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, yeah, 
Yeah, it's, I, that's the one thing about IndyCar that still bothers me, though, is that it, it, you don't see this so much in Formula One or any other racing that I ever watch. It seems like in, in IndyCar, more than anything else, the timing of an accident can completely change the outcome of the entire race, and it seems unearned a lot of the time. And I don't even fully understand it. Yeah, I think I think it's down to the frequency of the pit stops and the time of the pit stops because they're not they're not like mega quick like Formula One, right? Um, you know, so it, it does take a while to do a pit stop, and that has a cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seem to burn fuel at quite a rate. Um, so you know, you're doing multiple pit stops. It's not like you're just doing one or two; you're doing four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the cumulative of that and just the the way that the the pattern of the race. Um, it just takes one thing to, you know, if you're in the, yeah. if you're in the wrong part of the pit window at the wrong time, when a yellow comes out, it can just completely screw your race because you're just not, not going to get it back. So. Apparently what happened at Texas where he went from like ninth to first and, and Rossi couldn't get him back from what I understand, what happened was he timed his pit stops out differently than most everybody else, the leaders. And so when they were all in pitting, he actually was out there by himself turning the fastest laps of the race. And so that when they came back out, he was ahead of them. And they could yeah. just never get him back. And that just blows my mind that that's even possible. But, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is one of the fun things about IndyCar is, is, this, is the strategy side yeah. of it. Uh, same with F1, but uh, seems to have a more uh, immediate impact sometimes in IndyCar, I yes. think. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So... Um, I guess we could look at, at the, uh, how do you want to do you look at the races maybe just real quick? I think we've talked about them a little bit, but and I don't know what yeah. other stories you want to hit on. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I will be honest. I haven't seen all the races. I've watched all the, the videos, but I didn't actually watch them all sort of at the time, but, um, or we could go down there to driver standings. Sure. Let's um, do that. That's fine. Okay. So let's. Do you want to do top ten up? I have so, I have so. the NBC Sports Gold package now, so I get to see everything, and it's been very exciting for me. I'm <laughs> I, really, I mean, again, I love Formula One, and I've I've watched everything I possibly could, including Will Buxton's videos and all that. But I've really been enjoying this season, getting to see all the behind the scenes stuff, the practices, the the polls, the this the, the discussions with Paul Tracy and uh, Townsend and Townsend Bell and 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 Lee Diffie and all them and. It's just that you get a lot of really good value out of that. And they also have all the replays and everything you can go back and watch. So I, I've been enjoying my, I guess it was like a $50 one-time investment. And it, you know, it played out to like 4 or $5 per race for the whole, well, 2 or, two or $3 per race for the whole season. So it wasn't a bad deal back at the beginning of the season when I got it. So, uh, Well, that's interesting because I did the same with the Formula 1. I have the Formula 1 TV streaming service, which was uh, – at the beginning of the season was half off, so yeah, that was fifty bucks for the whole season. There so. you go, good deal. So between the uh, yeah, two of us, um, we're totally up on it then. <laughs> yeah, so very good. Yeah, so but IndyCar, um, IndyCar, I'm, I'm sort of uh, YouTube now, yeah, because uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you can, you can absolutely, you can get away. In fact, they they did a survey and they said, "What's one thing you would change?" And I'd say, "Well, I said I kind of it kind of annoys me that the stuff I pay you for, you then turn around and put on YouTube for free anyway." So. I'm not entirely sure what I'm paying for in some cases, but you know, it's, it worked. You know, the main reason I got it though was it was really neat to see all the stuff around uh, Coda, it, it, Barber too, because I'm from down there. You know, I'm from right below. Yeah, yeah. So those two, getting to see everything behind the scenes, and then of course with Indianapolis, there was you know stuff every day for the whole month on there that was fun right. to watch. So it's it's more than paid for itself. It was very very good investment. So. 
So, well, right, actually, so, actually let, let's yeah. let's just go preseason. Um, mm-hmm. So you mentioned Coda. One of the coolest things that so far this year was because we bought races uh, races t- for the tickets tickets for the race at Coda um, in uh, at the beginning of the early in the season. Um, we got to go to the spring training. Uh, we got free admission to spring training at Coda in February. Oh wow! Uh, um, and the cool thing was it was completely open, so you could um, go anywhere. Um, wow. if you had a spring training ticket, um, including into the pits and the pit lane, um, in the garages, everything was open. So talk about fan access. Oh, um, nice. so that I basically took a day off work and went and spent the day at Coda with the IndyCar teams and was <laughs> sitting in the Penske garage and, oh. um, in, in the pit lane and yeah, watching, you know, right, right there with them as they were getting in and out of the cars and, uh, in the garages, seeing what they were working on and almost getting run over by Marco Andretti three times on his scooter. Uh, <laughs> At least he was on his scooter, not in his car. <laughs> yeah. Um, and almost weird. walking into uh, Joseph Newgarden's slot he was doing for NBC TV. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was a, that was a really great bonus. And I think kudos to IndyCar and Coda and f- for doing that, uh, just opening it up like that and giving that sort of level of access was, was brilliant because it was, you, you could literally walk through every garage. Nobody, nobody had the garages shut or anything. You could be, you know, stood next to the Penske team while they're working on the car. As long as you weren't getting in the way. You could hand them uh, a wrench. <laughs> Yeah, you you could you could be anyway. Yeah, oh, so it, wow. it was very very cool. Well, so. You know, for Gateway this year, I actually splurged just for once and got the paddock passes. I have no idea what that means or what I'm going to get for the money, and it was expensive. But I figure it sounds nice. They offered it to me. We have pretty good seats there anyway, and I got that. So I guess it means we get to walk around before the race and go in the garage and stuff, or the pit lane or something. I don't know. Guess so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out. So. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully you get a similar sort of access. Um, so yeah, um, the Austin. So the first one out the gate was St. Pete's. Um, I don't really have much to remember about that. Um, Joseph Newgarden won to start the year off badly, and Pinsky dominating yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah, and Dixon was second and power, but other than that, um, and then uh, we have then there was uh, the race at Coda, which was uh, a, a great. Great day, a uh, great couple of days at mm-hmm. uh, at Coda for the for the Austin race. Uh, it was great to see the IndyCar on a road circuit here in Texas. Oh yeah, um, Col- <laughs> part of the time and part of the time off the road. <laughs> yeah, remember they they would they let them swerve way off into the into the runoff. Okay, thing. yeah. So the ten nineteen thing that um, was great. Yeah, so I I I set off a whole or got involved with the whole Twitter storm over that because <laughs> um, I tweeted something on it um, because it wasn't just the Indy cars. It was all the support races were going way out onto um, the apron at turn 19. And I tweeted something about, they should really think about reprofiling this corner. If no, no series except formula one can get around it. That started a whole, well, no, you should not change the track. They should just drive around it. And I'm like, and I was, I took pictures of like, you know, Every support race, I'm like, look, everybody's going off. And it was, yeah. Um, so the, the whole th- turn 19, um, just no track limits thing was a bit ridiculous. And unfortunately, that's what caused the like, yellow at the end. Um, was uh, somebody, and I can't remember who, basically went off, uh, got unbalanced on that. Because that's quite a rough out there. Got unbalanced and uh, came across the track and clipped the wall on the inside, which 
through the yellow, which meant Rossi. I think Rossi had just gone in the pits, so um, Rossi uh, and Power had just pitted, so that sort of cost them the race. Yes. Um, but it, it was it was a good day. It was a great day, and it was a good race. And Colton Herter, um, who won, um, was just great. Um, it was really good to see a, a, a new young face dominate. I mean, he dominated spring training. He was fastest at spring training. Uh, he, he was fastest in practice. Uh, and he was running a, a strong third be, behind Power and um, Rossi. until the, And then when the yellow came out, he basically inherited the lead and took the win. Um, so fairly well deserved. Um, and the other one who really um, impressed me that day was uh, Patricio Award as well. Mm. Um, another young up-and-coming talent who may or may not be going to red bull in f1 at some point um i saw that but uh yeah so both of those guys really impressed me um at at coda yeah herda really is impressive i he he seems like almost like a max verstappen of indycar in a way yeah in the sense that he goes for it he's not afraid he's bold you know he'll just drive the wheels off of it and not worry about it i he impresses me in that way yeah um Birmingham, Takuma Sato back. That was yes. Cool. He's somebody else who's really impressed me so far this season. Is is Sato? Um, he has. He, he's seems to have got the bit between his teeth again. Mm-hmm. Um, so did really well uh, at Indy, which we'll get to. Yeah, yeah, uh, long, and long, in Detroit as well. Yeah, uh, it was yeah. pretty impressive in Detroit. So. That uh, um, Long Beach was the one that Rossi. I think that's the race he usually does well at, and he was able to hold off the others and and win there and. Um, it's his only win this year. It, it says a lot about his consistency that he's only won one race all year and he's in second place. Yeah, exactly. When uh, Pagano's won two, and uh, yeah, so, yeah New, New Gardens won three, and he's barely ahead of, of Ross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, I, yeah, he, I mean, he does seem to te- to dominate Long Beach. Um, he did last year, and he was very impressive there again this year. So uh, it's, a, it's a good track for him. Yeah. And then the month of May was all Simon. Well, let's start the beginning of the month of May. It was all Fernando. Yeah, well, in a, not in a good way, though. But not in a good way. Yeah, poor Fernando. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, I, I, I know one of the reasons that you said you wanted to go to the Indy 500 was to see Fernando Alonso race there, and unfortunately that I, didn't happen. So, I thought uh, that's what I was going to get. Yeah, that didn't work out at all. Dang. So, I mean, we talked about McLaren and uh, their, their resurgence in Formula One. Unfortunately, it did not seem to go to their uh, no. carry across to their IndyCar um, team because this year, instead of using uh, Andretti and sort of badging an, an Andretti entry, they decided to go the whole hog and do it themselves. And from what I've read, it was pretty much a, a disaster from start to finish. Like uh, when they turned up at Texas for testing, they didn't have a steering wheel. <laughs> um, they repainted the car. They repainted the yeah, and then the they got practice. their they got their metrics and their imperial oh. measurements mixed up between mixed up. the mm-hmm. guys from England and the guys from the US. Um, so the car was dragging on the floor. Um, yeah, it just seems to have been a complete disaster all around. Absolutely so. disaster. Yeah, they. I've I've said all, I said for a while now that what they need to do is I think if if not Andretti, I think if they really want to be competitive at Indy, they should get in with um, uh, Ed Carpenter. Because he can put together a a Chevy for Fernando that is very competitive there. Yeah, um, that, 
I mean, I think what they need to do, and unfortunately it doesn't look like they're doing it, they need to do a full season. Well, yeah, that would be ideal. But I'm just saying if they're only going to do Indy, they need to be with somebody else that knows what they're doing like they were when they were with Andretti. Yeah. And I think Ed Carpenter would be an even better choice, especially since, you know, Fernando and Honda don't get along. So, I, I, you know, you don't, I, don't, I don't see Fernando back doing anything with Andretti again anytime soon. So it seems to me that Penske's not going to help him. So the, the next best option for a Chevy that could be competitive at Indy would be Ed Carpenter. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, um, they they need some sort of partnership. Yeah, if they if they're going to do uh, and not, I mean, they did a partnership this year, but it was one of the it was with uh, one of the lower end teams who weren't oh, used yeah. to run another Carly. another car, and yeah, okay, Carly, it did not work out. So did not work out. So yeah, if they if they're going to do it, ideally, I'd like now Fernando is uh, won Le Mans again and is now the World Endurance Championship in champion as well this year. Um, I, I was hoping that uh, he would go and do um, a, a full season of IndyCar, but it sounds like he may be going rallying instead. So um, <laughs> I don't know if that was his last shot um, at the Indy 500. I hope not. I hope we'll see him back there at some point with a better better run outfit. So. It would just be so cool to go to Gateway in a year or two and go through the autograph line and there be sitting Fernando in that 110-degree temperature chicken wire around you know a line of people from illinois standing there and fernando just be like yes well here i am (laughs) yeah just sitting there grouchy oh bless his heart but that would be awesome i would love to see him here um let's see but yeah month of may after fernando with his tail between he was very he was very good about it but it didn't well it did work out one way though i was able to get a great fernando t-shirt for like ten dollars Oh, really? Oh, see, Alan, they have every, you can't, here's one thing I learned about in my trip. I learned a lot of things in my trip to Indy this year, but one of the things I learned is you cannot turn around in front of, around, or inside that track without, without a souvenir store right there. There's like 50. Okay. Yeah. Every one of them, all Fernando Alonso merchandise, 40% off that whole weekend. Wow. See, because I I almost bought... Because they, when we were at Coda, they had because I think they, that was the weekend they just announced he was going to run the fifty-five and stuff, and they had the t- they had the Fernando T-shirt. So I'm like, should I get one? Should I not? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. I'll just get a more generic IndyCar, a couple of generic IndyCar ones, and I got a classic Jim Clark nineteen sixties IndyCar one as well. Nice. But I, but um, so I decided not to, um, and they were pretty expensive. So yeah, I can imagine they were all 50 percent off at the at, at the at Indianapolis. But that's funny. Yeah, Sad, oh, yeah. but funny. So. I know. I tweeted a picture of the signs all over everything that said Alonzo merchandise forty percent off. I got I got some pretty good deals. I got the I got the one. They had a few copies left of this gorgeous coffee table hardcover book uh, commemorating the one hundredth race. And you know who won that one, of course, was Rossi. Yeah, so, Rossi. But here I was, was the thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But see, here was the thing. It, they were all shrink wrapped, so I didn't know if it was to commemorate leading up to it, and they were selling it at the 100th race, or if it was after. So I bought it sight unseen, just hoping, because it was a $55, $60 book, and I got it for $20. And when I got it home and finally opened it up and saw that it was after the race and it had pictures of Rossi winning and everything, I'm like, yes! what a So I got a super good deal on that. I, I bought it thinking it wouldn't even have him in it, you know, and it was all him. So that was really cool. Um, the, the other thing I tell you real quick about merchandise, I tracked down my Marco Andretti t-shirt. Now, I've got two Rossi's jerseys, including one that he signed. 
but I wanted the I wanted the other Andretti one that I like because I just think that I just think that Marcos looks really cool. It's white with the red and dark gray with the U.S. concrete and all that. It's just a very sharp looking jersey, and I like the Andretti family overall. And so I wanted to get one, and you can't get them through the mail. You can only get them at the races. You can't get them like through the internet or anything. I've never been able to find them. And so we went to every one of those stores. I mean, there must be 70. And we went in every one, and they didn't have them, they didn't have them, didn't have them. We went to the very last store, and they had them, but they only had double extra large and small. And I was just like, I was so mad and depressed. And I told my wife, I'm like, I can't believe we came all the way over here, and they don't have any. And she went over and asked an employee, and they went back in the back and came back with the last large and I was just like, man, I'd pay $300 for this right now. <laughs> so I got one, and I love it. I, I wear it like almost every day now. I'm going to wear it out. But uh, So that worked out pretty well. So I got me a, a, a Rossi jersey and, and, and a, um, two Rossi jerseys and a, and, a, and a Marco, so I can run you over on a scooter next time I see you. Oh, cool. All right. <laughs> I'll look out for that. So, so, so I, I actually just, I'll just tell you my, my T-shirt story yeah. quickly. So we were at Coda for the IndyCar race, and there was the, as you said, one of the booths, and they had all these – classic um t-shirts you know from classic indy 500s and stuff and there was one with jim clark in the lotus from the 1960s um beautiful t-shirt and i walked up and i said i'll have the jim clark t-shirt and the guy goes what (laughs) and i'm like the one that says the one from the 1960s actually says 1966 right there on it and i said the 1960s one he's like what and i'm like so i pointed and said that one so he bends down and then this is a green t- British racing green T-shirt. So he bends down and pulls out a, a red T-shirt from underneath. And I'm like, what? really? What? What? And then there's a guy. There's a guy at the other end of the th- uh, the uh, the booth stocking die-cast cars, and he just turns around and goes, "The green one, you idiot." <laughs> so like... <laughs> He's been out in the sun too long, I guess. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, oh uh, man. But. Uh, um... I'm, I'm wearing a t-shirt. I'm wearing my Jim Clark t-shirt out as quickly as you're probably wearing your Marco Andretti one out. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. I love them. They're also good. So, all right. Well, we talked about Pagano winning, and I was I – was, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I'm not supposed to like Pagano because I don't really like Penske that much. I'm not a Chevy guy, um, although my next car will probably be a Chevy. Um, and he's French. We're not supposed to like them, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, he's a likable guy. And then when he rolls out Norman – Oh, how can you not <laughs> the, like the dog? Oh, the dog is everything, man. That dog is fantastic. I love Norman. My wife is at, my wife wants to drive to Pagano's house and steal Norman, basically. <laughs> and now I put that out there. So if somebody kidnaps Norman, they're all going to think that we did it. But yeah, so that was that was what made the race for my wife on this trip is is getting to see you know Pagano and Norman out there celebrating. So. So yeah, I was pretty happy for him. I, I mean, obviously, I wanted Rossi to win, and I hated that he didn't that he that he got second. But, but I thought Pagano deserved it. He was the best the whole weekend, and he, and, and he's, he seems like a really nice guy. Is that the impression you get? Yeah, he seems to be. Yeah, and uh, it was what the first Frenchman to win in over a hundred years or yeah. something. So yeah. um, that was pretty cool. Um, and it it was such a close finish too. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, it, it it looked like a great a great event, so um, yeah. sort of slightly jealous that you were there. And I wasn't. But, uh. <laughs> well, the thing of it, we had a good we had good seats. We were in turn four, and we could see a little bit of the way down the short shoot toward three, mm-hmm. and then we could see all the way down to the to the to the uh, pagoda and all in the finish line. But the thing is, that track is so big, and there's so much yeah. stuff. There's so much stuff in the middle that you when you look down the short shoot. 
you can only see a short distance, and then there's you know stuff obscures it. And when you look yep. down toward the finish line, it's like it's like being on the beach, and you can see hotels five miles away, you know. But yeah. You, but you couldn't make anything out, you know. We could see the finish line, but you couldn't see the cars or anything way down there. It was just a total blur. So you really, at that track, only see what's right in front of you, no matter where you're sitting. That's true. I, 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 a couple of times we've been for the 500, we, we sat in turn four as well. So I know exactly what you mean. But mm. uh, I still think that's one of the best, best spots because you get you actually do get to see them going around the corner and maneuvering and yeah, that yeah. For, for the, you know, for the shoot down the start, finish straight and stuff. So, uh, and you get to see some of the pomp and circumstance, you know, ceremony yeah. and Absolutely. stuff as well. So, but, but yeah, it's, it, it's a big place. It's it a big really, place. Really yeah. We, we parked as far away as you could park, but fortunately the, the, our seats were at that corner. So we really didn't have to walk all that far, relatively speaking. And we got out, man, I was so impressed at gateway last year at little old gateway. It took us like two hours to get out of the parking lot and onto the highway at, at Indy. We went straight. We walked straight to the car. I mean, the, the race was over. We didn't leave early or anything. You know, the race was over. Everybody was leaving. We left, we walked straight to our car, got in and just drove right to the highway. And we're gone in five minutes. It was unbelievable. I wow, couldn't, I couldn't well, believe it. I say the first time we went there, I think it took us like two and a half hours to get out. So, well, the the better your parking spot, the longer it's going to take to get out. You know what I mean? We were as far away yeah. as you could get. So when we pulled out of the parking lot, we we're out on the highway practically. Yeah. We, had, we had to cool. walk away, but I didn't mind walking a mile just to you know get right on the road and go. So yeah, it yeah, was very cool. Amazing how quick we got out of there. And I'll tell you one other thing: we um, at, at Gateway, I usually just have little earplugs, but I just, I've been reading about the scanners and everything. And so I bought a, I bought a little, uh, one of the, you know, what you call them scanners, the radio, you know, the, the police type yeah, yeah. scanner deal. I got one of those little walkie talkie size and I bought us a splitter and two really nice sets of, of noise canceling headphones. And the, here's the funny thing is I was again, going by gateway gateway in India. I'm discovering are totally different. I mean, just totally different. Because at Gateway, it is loud. And I was like, man, these, these, these earphones are going to be great. At Indy, didn't even need them. It wasn't that loud. No, it's not that, it's not that loud. No, be, just because it's such a – I mean, it's two and a half miles around. It's such a huge open space. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to enjoy yeah. those at Gateway, but didn't need them at Indy. Although it was, it was nice to be able to listen to the, uh, to the broadcast. That was the best part. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Didn't, didn't hear much from the, uh, the teams really, like I thought I would, but, but you got to hear the whole like NBC and the indie and the actual indie, indie radio network was there too. So we, we got to hear that. So that, I recommend that. That was a really cool deal. Oh, that's cool. Cool. Uh, uh, be, so be, before yeah. we move off from the Indy 500, my well, one other highlight from the Indy 500 uh, is my my driving instructor, um, Pippa Mann, was actually qualified for the race again. I was so delighted to see her uh, back you, in the Indy 500. Uh, you got to explain uh, that. You got to explain what you mean by that. Um, so several years ago, well, a few years ago, when I did a performance driving school um, with Mini at Indy on the Grand Prix circuit, not the not the full circuit. Um, Pippa Mann was actually one of the instructors um, and was one, my instructor and also took me out for a ride around the actual full um, oval. Oh, good so. grief. That's not fair. <laughs> and she's from my hometown, too, so we had really? a good... Uh, yeah, yeah. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so I, I've, I've always supported her mm-hmm. since that day. and uh, I mean, I was sort of followed her career before that, but even more so after that day. So, uh, That's amazing. Um, so you were talking about the shirts. I, I was actually uh, spent ages looking for a Pippa Man um, mm-hmm. die cast as well. And 
every because for a while for several months i was going up to indianapolis once a month on business and i was like every chance i got i got you know i would go over to the circuit and look in the shop and couldn't find it and stuff and then my last trip there i actually found one in the uh, in the airport in the the tiny little uh souvenir shop at the airport down on the bottom of the stack so uh, i i very happy she she's now have her die cast have the sitting next to my formula one die cast and stuff so very good very good yeah so i was very happy to see her uh, qualify for the for the 500 um yeah, and, yeah. and so. with no real problem. I mean, she was very comfortably in. I was very sad for her last year. So, yeah, we were definitely rooting for her this year to get in. And, yeah. And so. That was great. Um, Let's see. The only yeah. races we haven't really talked about are the uh, the two the, the duels in Detroit and Texas. Yeah. Um, Detroit, um, for me, the the standout was, was actually the Sato in the first race. He was um, pretty aggressive, um, I thought, uh, and doing really well. Um so it was good. Though the, the weird thing there was actually seeing Scott Dixon put it in the wall. You don't see that very often. That's right. Yeah, I'd forgotten. Yeah. That's the one where he just ran in the wall. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then made up for it this, the next day by winning the race. So he did. Yeah. <laughs> Make Chip happy. Yeah. Chip's not going to like you wrecking his car. In fact, that was what I'm going to ask you. While while I'm thinking about it, because I may not remember, what do you think about the rookies this year? We talked about Herta. What do you yeah. think about the other the other Ganassi and Rosenquist? He 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 was supposed to be the stuff coming in this year. He's the one that yeah. had all the buzz. Yeah. And all he's really done is is wreck his car a lot. It seems like. Yeah, I mean he he was quick out the gate at St. Pete's. I mean it looked like he was going to be the real deal, um, but seems to have fallen off. I guess. Um, yeah, I mean none of the. I say for me the the, the you know the uh, the standouts have been. Uh, Colton Herter and Patricio Ward, Jack Harvey as well. Actually, um, he did really well at the Indy GP um, well, race. Uh, and the leading the, rookie, the leading rookie right now is Santino Ferrucci. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you don't. You're not a. You're not a Santino fan yet. Um, there was issues with him when he was in Formula Two, which uh, revolve around politics and his. Um, oh dear. Some of the uh, some of the things that he said about his Indian teammate. Let's put it that way. Oh so, dear! Oh dear! Which is why he's back in IndyCar, not in Formula Two. Oh wow, that's so. good to know. Good to know. All right. Yeah, currently the rookies Ferrucci and then is in ninth. Rosenquist twelfth. Allegedly, by the way, that was allegedly. Okay. <laughs> Marcus Erickson. I mean, I'm cheering for him because um, I really enjoyed watching him at Williams. Wasn't he at Williams the last couple of years? And wasn't it Williams? But uh, or is it Sauber? Sauber. He was That's in Sauber, right? Yeah, I remember he wore a white suit, so I just automatically thought Williams. But yeah, Sauber. He was at Sauber, and so and it was, uh, yeah, Alfa Romeo. And so uh, I was, and I like him. I was hoping he would do well, and he actually got a podium. He got second at uh, at uh, one of the Detroits, right? So uh, yeah, yeah, good for him. And then and then um, the Texas race, which is crazy. It always turns nutty when it gets dark there, and uh, that's the one where um, New Garden pulled the coming out of nowhere finish to to to, to get in there. So, um, who? Let me see. Who did the? Uh, what was the final? What were the? Who, who was the podium at at uh, at Texas? Let me see. So, uh, it's uh, New Garden, Rossi, and Graham Rahal. Okay, I had my. 
Oh, that must be. I'm sorry. I was, I was looking at the qualifying thing. Okay, so yeah, Newgarden, Rossi, and Graham Rahal. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So Rossi ended up second, and he just couldn't. Again, just just like in Indianapolis, he gets passed by the other fast car and just can't can't quite get him back. Is it? So my last thing about this is is um is Rossi going to still be at uh, at Andretti next year, or do you think he's going to go? Is I, I feel like Penske was going to take him in Pagano's place until Indianapolis. Um. Do you know what? I see him more as a Ganassi guy than a Penske guy. Oh, interesting. Well, would, would, that he, be a, he, would that be a step up? I guess in, it's kind of a horizontal, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be a horizontal. I mean, at one point, it would have been a definite step up. But these days, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe he's going to be a career Andretti guy. Um, I don't know. It's his team now. I mean, it's not Marco's team anymore. Marco had to Marco had to basically start his own team affiliated with his own family name yeah. just to stay in the in the team, basically, you know. And so it's, I mean, if you look at the who's left at Andretti, it's not Veach. Veach is just kind of mediocre. I like him okay, but, I mean, eh, he's not doing any big things. And then, you know, Ryan hunter Ray, you could argue he's the premier driver for that team, but his day is kind of come and gone. He seems like he's on the downhill side a little bit of his career. I love him to death, but, I mean, honestly, he, he hasn't done a lot to impress me the last two or three years. And so, who does that leave? I mean, Herta's kind of associated with him. Again, Marco Andretti's kind of associated with him. But really, out of Veach, Ryan Hunter-Ray, and Rossi, Rossi's kind of making it his team, don't you think? Oh, yeah, very much so. I think he's definitely the team leader and the, the, the future for the team over the next few seasons. Um, mm-hmm. So, I can't see him making a jump anytime soon, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. The only reason, and I don't like the Penske's that much, the only reason that I would have anything positive to think about it is it, it gets so frustrating to see a, a different Penske car beating him out every week. If he was in a car that was just slightly more competitive with the Penske cars, like another Penske car, at least then it wouldn't. That wouldn't be the issue, you know. Yeah, yeah. I just can't see his personality quite fitting within the Penske organization. I guess. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. But, um. Yeah, and I will actually say that my most. The driver that's impressed me the most this year is actually not in a car. Oh, who's that? Robert Wickens. Oh, Robbie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you follow him on social media, but he the videos he's posting of his recovery journey and the the physical therapy and the mm. stuff he's been going through. I mean, the fact he's, you know, standing on his own now, walking up steps. Uh, it's just absolutely Insp- well, it's beyond inspirational. The stuff he's doing is just amazing, brilliant. Yeah. Um, seems like a good kid too. You just want him to, yeah, get, to get well. But just, just the you know the the sheer determination, the mental process he's going through to recover from you know we were what we all thought we was going to be you know completely paralyzed, and sure. he's he's on that journey to get back in a car and and walk and stuff, and Man. just just the determination. Um, he shows um, it's just inspiring every week when he puts something up so it really is good for Robbie yeah yeah um, and I guess the other thing with IndyCar was the reason I don't know if you saw it, it was that they're going to adopt a, an aero screen solution next year instead of um, the halo it so, looks um, almost like a halo with a with a windscreen below it yeah it's like a halo light with a wind windscreen mm-hmm. wrapped, wrapped around it mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it looks it looks good. Um, yeah, it doesn't look bad. I I've gotten used to some degree to the halo at Formula One, and this looks better than that to me. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, 
I like. Um, of course, the interesting thing is it's actually developed by Red Bull. Yeah, um, I saw that. <laughs> So uh, I, I, I did get excited when I, I they, they put the, the images up and it's actually got Red Bull um, logos all over it and stuff. I'm like, I think, you know, Red Bull in, in IndyCar, that would be cool. Oh, I would, um, yeah, I'd love to see a Red Bull team out there. That would be fantastic. But it, it, is, it is part of the same company. Red Bull Technologies is part of the same company mm-hmm. as the Red Bull Racing Team. It's run by the same Christian Horner, the same guy. So um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I got to tell you, Christian Horner is my favorite personality in all of Formula One, driver or otherwise. I just really like him. He just seems like a good guy. He's very interesting. Seems very open. Um, he's just a pleasure to 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 listen to during the races and kind of watch him, you know, do his thing. I like him a bunch. You know, Toto Wolff is pretty cool too. I like him a lot. But but Christian Horner just seems like a dude to be fun to go have a beer with and hang out with. Yeah, he seems he seems very much that way. Um, he. He's a uh, he's a fun guy. I don't I don't know if you know. He's actually married to Jerry Halliwell, Ginger Spice, as was. Oh, really? The Spice Girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they uh, the Spice Girls just did a big uh, reunion tour in uh, in the U in the UK the last couple of weeks, and Christian Horn has been on his Instagram account has been basically posting all these be um, pictures from the from the various concerts. And the the one at Wembley last week, he actually got the whole of the Red Bull team there wearing Ginger Spice T-shirts, <laughs> and Bernie Eccleston wearing a Spice Girls T-shirt. Oh no! Um, How did I miss that? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So uh, yeah, Chris. I, again, Christian Horner came over great on that documentary. Um, yeah. And and uh, yeah, he and Gunter Steiner, I think, were the two two uh, two standouts of, of that um, that TV show. I. I thought I'd read somewhere that they're actually filming this year to mm-hmm. do like a repeat version next year. I, I hope so. I hope it sort of becomes a sort of almost an event, annual event that we get like this fun recap of the pre- previous season for a, for, for a little while. It would be, uh, that would be great. Would be fun to see. It brought, yeah. I know for a fact through anecdotal evidence that it brought in new people to watch. Cause I've had people <laughs> telling me on Twitter that they're watching formula one for the first time because they happen to watch the documentary. I'll say this. It was funny that Mercedes and Ferrari both opted out of participating in the first year of it because they were both watching each other. Neither one of them wanted to be the only one of the two that did it. And so neither one of them did it. And it came out so good that now both of them are doing it this year. They're, they're all, they're all going to be in it this year. Not just the bottom, the, you know, the, the two top are going to be in it too. The other thing is I wish IndyCar would do something like that because the one thing I think that IndyCar still needs to do is create something of a mystique around their drivers. I don't want them to be, the way that Formula One kind of makes them these Greek gods that are just untouchable up on Mount Olympus. But I do want them to do something besides, you know, Robin Miller out there say, hey, kid, how's it going? You know, I mean, they need a little a little more mystique. They're, they're almost too down to earth in some cases. And I, and I wish they would do a show like that for IndyCar that would just give a little bit of a mystique, some of the play-ups, some of the rivalries, you know. I think that Newgarden yeah. and Rossi could have a great rivalry if they don't, if you know, if they keep going like this, and they, we need to play that up. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you're definitely right about the new the, the new converts to F1 because the show I've actually experienced that myself. I was at a uh, in the Admirals Club um, in Denver a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, and I went to get a drink, and the, there was a guy there with the uh, the F1 app on his phone, and I was like, "Oh, who do you fancy for this weekend's race?" Then, and he was like, "What?" I'm like Formula One, and he was. He said, "Oh, he said two days ago I knew nothing about it, didn't even know it existed, but a friend <laughs> recommended I should watch 
that documentary while I was on a flight. And he said, now I'm just reading everything I can possibly find <laughs> about it. And this is going to be the first race I'm going to watch. So I'm oh. putting myself up on all the drivers and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So, yeah, that documentary really worked. That was um, me in 2016, Alan. <laughs> At the beginning of the 2016 it, season, I was like, all right, I'm going to watch this stuff. So I got to find out everything I can. Um, oh. So, yeah, I, I, I think uh, IndyCar doing something similar would be a good idea. Um mm-hmm. Um, probably need a slightly different tack on it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think it would be good. Uh, it, it is interesting, you know. We got two American drivers battling it out for the championship, and it's probably getting zero coverage on mainstream media. So yeah. Um, yeah. that's true. Yeah. That's so. All right. Well, All right. any last thoughts before we wrap up for tonight? We've done. A, I think we've been pretty comprehensive about both series and caught things up to date. Where Where do you see things going in Formula One? Where do you see things going in IndyCar? Well, I would say I think this is probably the first time around on this that we've actually spent as much time talking about IndyCar as we have about Formula One. Normally, yep. F1's normally dominated our conversation, so that's interesting. Um, and I think a reflection of what we said at the beginning of, uh, of, of the uh, of the conversation that uh, you know I think IndyCar is definitely on the app. Um, exciting season, some good stuff going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd love to see. Rossi to take the championship. I have a horrible feeling New Garden's going to get it, but I'd love to see Rossi take it. But you can never rule out Scott Dixon. I mean, he is fourth in the championship, and we're halfway through. So, you know, that's what he does. He does. That's what he does. He sneaks in there at the end, particularly when we get to that double points thing at the end. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to the second half of the season with with IndyCar, um, hoping that uh, Rossi can stop being second and actually win a few more. Um, <laughs> your word, yeah, your your list to God's ear. No kidding. Um, F1, I, I think it's, done. like I say, we're done. I think, I think McLaren's, um, McLaren, see, did I get it? I think Mercedes are going to blow past McLaren's, um, record of 15 wins in a season. Um, but I hope it is not going to be as boring as that sounds. I, I, um, I'm hoping that, uh, we can, Ferrari can sort of settle down a bit, figure out what they need to do to actually take the, t- the, the fight to Mercedes because I don't think they're that far away. Um, and also maybe that uh, Red Bull can step up. For me, it's the, I think the real interesting fight is the uh, the Formula 1.5 is the, the best of the rest fight between, uh, yeah. I think, uh, M- McLaren and uh, Renault. Um, I think that's um, going to be, I think, the interesting focus of the season. So, um, yeah, looking forward to... Um, the rest of the season in both both series. Absolutely. You know, it's funny you say the record is 15. If you had told me that I would I would have out of 20 or 21 or 22 races the last several years, I I'm I'm frankly surprised that Mercedes didn't win 15 in one of the last 3 or 4 years. They must have come awfully close. Uh probably well when when McLaren did that it was 16 races, so it was 15 out of 16 oh, okay. was um um, but it just seems like Mercedes has won more than 15 races a year or two. I mean, I guess Ferrari wins a couple every year. Red Bull wins a couple every year. Couple but, every year, yeah. But other than yeah. that, I mean, so. All right. Well, okie doke. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I think the same thing. I think that I think it's going to be New Garden, but I hope that Rossi doesn't. End, and, I, and Rossi's going to finish second just like he has in all these races, and it's going to frustrate me, but I'm going to keep cheering anyway. And yeah, I think it's done. I, I would love to see uh, Botas make some kind of a recovery and a run, but Lewis is just so hard to beat. He's just so he's just so good, and you give him the best car, and he's one of the best drivers, if not the best. And it's just, and then he's and he's lucky on top of that. I mean, bang, 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 you know. So it's just tough. So 
All right. Well, I guess we will wrap up for this week and for this uh, time of the season. And I guess maybe we'll have to reconvene a little bit later on the season and kind of see how things are shaking out or have shaken out. Sound good? Definitely have to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, gang, we will catch you guys later on and see you down the road. All right. Cheers. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.